Hello, and welcome to Outside Inside Radio. I'm Kathy Foley-Meyer, your host, and I'm excited to be here today with Mitra Johansson, who is the co-founder of Huma House, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people impacted by incarceration. Welcome, Mitra, to the program. Thanks, Kathy. Excited to have you. So I know from reading your bio that you were a curator for one of the most prestigious galleries in the art world, and you were kind of involved in that side of things. So I was wondering if you could tell the audience a little bit more about your journey to the founding of Huma House and tell us a little bit more about the work you guys do. Sure. Yeah, my background, I mean, I studied art history. Art has always been a really important part of my life. You know, when I was little, I used to, like my mom's Iranian and she had these Persian carpets and I used to sit down and like, just like read the symbols on the carpets with my hands. And it was like very, like it always spoke to me, you know, and it was very powerful for me. I worked at Gagosian for three years in New York as an art, um, I was assisting an art dealer and I also just doing art dealing myself, which is really exciting too, as like a young like person in my 20s. Yeah. And. And yeah, like getting to where I am now, I always knew that art had such a transformative power um, and it can be used as an empathy machine to help people understand circumstances. And it was kind of a like a lot of different things happened for me to lead me to Huma House. Right. Did you encounter people who had been incarcerated and then they were making art? It was actually during COVID and I was working for an art gallery here in L.A., and I left my job there and was interested in really understanding stories of people who've been through incarceration because of a book I read, Beloved, do you know, by Toni Morrison. Yes. So good. That book was about slavery, but I, I really understood the legacy right. of slavery being our modern day incarceration. So I had signed up to volunteer at uh, mm-hmm. San Quentin Prison to teach art, to get involved. And then COVID happened. We had this shutdown. Everyone was on lockdown. And I was like, well, how can I tell these stories? And for me, my skill was curating. So I curated a show of people who were inside, had talked to their families. The prison arts PAC, actually, Annie helped me to connect to different people inside. And it was really one show that I curated. And then it it gained a lot of momentum. And I really liked meeting these artists. And it just kind of snowballed. So when you were teaching, were you teaching like the history of art or just were you making art with your clients? Mm-hmm. It was going to be a teaching job, but it never launched because, ah. of, because of COVID. So I was like, uh, I never got to go. Yeah, no, that's kind of how the podcast got started because PAC was oh. teaching, you know, in the correctional system. And then obviously everything shut down mm-hmm. because of COVID. So it was like, well, how can we reach people still? And so this was... Um, one of the ways. I can tell just what's on the site that you believe in the power of art as a healing force. I'm kind of interested in that balance because the world that you were in before is the more sort of commercial one. So how do you maintain a balance Mm -hmm. between art as commerce and art as healing? Yeah, great question. I mean, when I was working in New York, like I got a heavy dose of art as commerce, you know? I know that feeling. I just attended the Miami Fair and it was my first time. And yeah, they sell private jets are also for sale. Yes, it's very interesting. There's a whole separate sort of luxury mall that kind of pops up around art fairs. So yeah, and so I was on the art fair circuit. I was working with art dealers who were selling six, seven figure works to the top 1% around the world. And the thing that I liked about it is the fact that it allowed art, it funded artists to be Mm -hmm. just artists, you know, so we really need this ecosystem of patronage where global elite are 
actually pouring funds into artists' careers so they can build you know, things that inspire the public. And so that is something I really liked about it. And I, and I really find the collector to be a very important part of this ecosystem. And that is what I wanted to bring into these spaces where people, the light isn't really shined on, you know, it's like, in my opinion, the art that's being made inside prisons is just as good as what I saw in like the top art museums right. in the world. And that is like true. Like when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, to be hanging in this right. museum, you know? Because it's so powerful. Yes. It's so powerful. Yeah. And it has the extra power of having changed someone's life because so much of mm -hmm. it is autobiographical, but it's also somebody who's not only constructing a public self because your art does that, but they're also constructing a self internally for themselves. Mm. So it's kind of powerful in that way. You're watching someone kind of recognize themselves and accept themselves while they're making art, which I think is very powerful. Totally. And like we had this instance in um, the first show where there's a woman from Beverly Hills, high-end collector, came in and saw the work, didn't have any connection to incarceration or, you know, this world. And she started weeping in front of one of the wow. artworks and was so moved by it and, you know, wanted to buy it. And then all the, the proceeds would go to the families or on their book, on the right. people on the books or art supplies. It was so exciting for me to have that moment because I think it can serve as healing. Like we often think about it is mm -hmm. one-sided. I think that also happens right. in the nonprofit world. Like, oh, you know, you are helping this person. Like this donor is helping this person. But like what I saw and what happened to me myself is that I was changed. I was like by my co-founder, Tobias, who was incarcerated for 30 years. Like this was healing for me. And so that's what I was so excited about with Huma House is like marrying this commercial aspect with the healing part. Both sides can be healed and both sides can benefit from the commercial aspects, you know. I get it. So can you tell us a little bit how the programs work? Because I know you have a youth-centered program and then one that is sort of right. centered on community garden work and things like that. Yeah, so right now... Well, we have a youth program. We received a grant to really move out on it. So I'm really, we're really excited about it. And it started out with a summer program mm -hmm. we called Huma Summer. We work with teens aged 14 to 18 who have been either like directly or indirectly impacted by incarceration. Like they have a family member inside or maybe they're coming out of a juvenile center. And the idea is to use art as a healing force. For example, we, one of the artists inside prison, mm -hmm. Kenneth Webb, we are using one of the artworks that he made to open up the class and to talk about the pool, the prison pipe. It's like an emotional piece that really is like an icebreaker and conversation starter. Another instance is one of the artists who was in prison, mm -hmm. he does collage and he taught the kids if they're feeling frustrated, how to like channel that frustration and using found materials around them and making it. So your website mentions alternative art history lessons. Is that part of that or is that something else? Yeah. What I learned and what I, I know is in a, most curriculums is focused in art history, is focused on Western art history. So did you have that training as well? Yeah. No, for my PhD especially. So I found that I was the one bringing in the other perspectives, but it, it felt very much like shoehorning something into something that wasn't really receptive to it. Right. Yeah. You have to like make fit into this box. And what we know is that a lot of Western art was really influenced by right. African art or Asian art or Asian philosophy. 
I mean, think look about right. look at Picasso. The whole Cubist era is from it, like he had like African masks all right. over his studio. And so I have the privilege of working with people like Tobias, people in Lamert Park, which mm-hmm. is part of South Central LA, who have a deep knowledge of mm-hmm. art, like historical objects, you know, that that are that are very powerful. Like for example, the um, right. Adinkra codes. I didn't know about this, but these beautiful symbols that mm-hmm. originate from Ghana that represent the evolution of consciousness. That's actually where we're going to use these symbols in our youth program. We're going to start out talking about like the Nike symbol, the KFC symbol. These are symbols in our consciousness. What about this symbol that represents no death? You know, there's one that I love that I actually have on a purse made out of a gourd that my friends used to make. And it's Mate Maisie, M-A-T-E-M-A-I-S-I-E, I think it is. But it stands for I have heard it and kept it. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, I'll send you a picture of the purse front and back because it. Oh, please. It's a pretty amazing piece. I used to carry them everywhere. What was interesting to me about them is because they're gourds, everybody loved them. Women responded to them one way. Men always assumed that it was also a weapon. I always got that. Yeah, you can really, you know, crown somebody with that if you need to. I was like. You know, I didn't really think about it that way because that's not really how I move through the world. But, but thanks, but thanks for confirming. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Tobias, your co-founder, because he has a job title that I love that I wish I could go through life and have, which is Chief Visionary Officer. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds I'm like, that's a job I need to have. Yeah. I mean, Tobias has incredible vision and he is blessed to see things right. without limit. And it's really exciting as we started our partnership because I'd had these big dreams for Huma House and, and just making an impact on the world. And he also had those like, and there were no limits. Whereas like, you know, a lot of times I tell people like, what I wanted to do it would be met with like, well, you're going to really have to think about this or how's that going to work here? Like, I mean, how are you going to even make money? And you would hear that even a nonprofit has to make money. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. And you guys met when he was incarcerated? Oh, we met actually um, during that first show that I did. One of the artists that I was directed to, Kenneth Webb, I met Tobias. He brought Ah, Kenneth's artwork to the show. He was his uh, liaison. So he was actually his last cellmate inside uh, Lancaster prison. So, and he was holding all of Kenneth's artworks, like protecting him. And I reached out, I saw the paintings somewhere online. I was like, how do I bring these into the show? And then that's how I got it. So I wanted to know more about the community gardens that he supervises and, and the healing that can take place when one connects with the earth and grows things. It seems like being in touch with the earth connects you to your humanity in a different way. Totally. And that's something we started out with. And, and now we're really focusing more on the, the art aspect to build out the foundation. But we do have a community. We work with another nonprofit who has a community garden that we've been working with that has makes these beautiful sunflowers. And I mean, especially for people who've been through incarceration. Tobias was in a place called Calipatria, which is like the, one of the hottest places on earth and desert. No color, no green. And putting your hands in soil, it just activates like this whole matrix inside the body that is so healing. How does that work? Do you have students come and you talk to them about plantings and cultivation and fertilizing and and then they kind of do it themselves yeah like we one of the days for example for the huma summer program um and a different grant that we received is we brought teens who were part of the housing center brought them to the garden 
and talked about the sunflower and the design that's in the sunflower through an art- artistic perspective, like that amazing divine. It's part of one of like the divine right. geometric structures. And then, yeah, we planted sunflowers in the garden and talked about like, use it as a metaphor right. to talk about life. And also just having fun with the kid. I mean, we had like a very lesson, but really it was just teenagers, like a fun atmosphere. They're safe and, you know, they, they don't have to think about anything. They can just really enjoy. Right. It strikes me that your programming seems designed also to let your participants know that it's okay to just be, that their existence has Mm. value in and of itself. And I'm interested in the power of creating art in relation to that, because it seems like something you guys embody. Yeah, every grant, and uh, they really want to know like specific impact and outcome and like, how is this helping? And and really what I've seen is that just giving the youth the space mm-hmm. to just be and to make real connections with, you know, myself, Jenea, who also we work with and Tobias and so that they know that they have someone that cares about them and someone to talk to. And a lot of these kids have to be grownups right. at age 12, you know, so like giving them space to just play in the in the dirt or like with glue and, and really like create things. I find that that has so much value, like healing value, self-worth. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that it's interesting when you were talking about bringing collectors into the process because there's this sort of separation between incarcerated populations and the public at large. And I definitely can see the value of art as a bridge, but I'm not sure if many collectors realize the impact that they can actually have in a situation like that. And I'm also interested because one of the questions we always ask our guests is, to think about people who are incarcerated and how you would suggest if they have a creative impulse, but they haven't actually acted on it yet, how would you recommend that they might do that? Yeah, I would think about it coming from like a gallerist mm-hmm. art dealer perspective. I would think about creating a series mm-hmm. of like maybe 10 works, just like you would write a book, you know, you write a it has like a plot and it has a themes and it has motifs and it has characters like if there's something you're having a creative impulse and you need to get it out, it's nice to give yourself right. a structure and limits because if it's so, it's like, how, where do I get started? So for example, one of the artists we work with, they started actually planting sunflowers in the prison, which is really beautiful. And he started seeing all these connections between the flowering of these plants and the flowering of his soul. And he created a whole series about, he has this amazing title that I'm forgetting. It's the gardening of the heart. And so he has 10 paintings that all have to do with one is like a self-portrait of him when he was in South Central as a young, a young kid. And then his hair, instead of it, he had a, like an Afro, instead of it being an Afro, it's like this, right. all these flowers. <laughs> it's so cool and so beautiful. So, and it's like, so I would say, yeah, just, Start with structure, like give yourself and then think about a theme that unites the the creative impulse that you're, you know, you want to do. Yeah, I think your director of youth programs also kind of started growing things when she was incarcerated. And then when she got out, it's kind of like a flowering link, basically, to the outside. Yeah, Janaea did that too. She was growing all kinds of things, grass and taking care of ladybugs (laughs) and just like taking care of like cultivating life, you know, inside of place I can feel like yeah. So last question then, how has 
founding Huma House impacted you personally? I mean, has it changed the way you move through the world or did you, is it just sort of, you move that way already and it kind of just reinforced something that was already there? For me, it's like I found my people. Like I found. Did you not feel like you found your people when you were jetting around in the commercial art world? There are some people I found right. in the, you know, mix. But like what I find with everyone I'm meeting now, a lot of people inside prison is, I don't know, there's so much light pouring out of the people I'm meeting, you know, who've been through these incredible circumstances. And I'm so inspired, like, and a lot of people have read so much, you know, and I get to like, I read a lot and I like get to do all these like philosophical sparring and, and like, and we can talk about, we can go really deep. And a lot of people I meet have very, they're excited about the world and, and making an impact. I would say that's amazing considering the circumstances that some people have to live with. And it's also amazing Mm -hmm. because we're in a period where I would say it doesn't necessarily feel like the world is something to be excited about. You know, it it feels like the world is something to be worried about. There's all that where we're going and what are we doing type of thinking going on. So the fact that people who are impacted by incarceration have enthusiasm for what's on the outside of that inside-outside or outside-inside divide is, it's like it reinforces humanity on both sides. I feel like that was the reaction that the woman who cried at your exhibition was having. She was recognizing someone's humanity and then maybe at the same time realizing, I've not felt that before. Think about what you normally read about people who are incarcerated or experience or or we might experience it, you know, through like popular culture, which is just a, you know, a version of it, but it is not the truth. So I think maybe she was connecting with the truth of somebody's humanity and it just sort of overwhelmed her and brought her to tears, which is yeah, not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people who've been through incarceration know they're able to, to move in this way is that in the darkest times, in order to find light, you know, you go to the darkest times. That grief is this, I don't know why it's engineered this way, but like through grief, like you can find like the high, your highest mm-hmm. truth, you know, or you can like, you actually come out so light if you're able to move right. through the stages. I guess a feeling that way about what's right. happening now, this may be our bottom. <laughs> and then we, and there's- Yeah, I think it's just knowing that there is light at the end. And believing that Mm -hmm. there is and that you can make a contribution to that light and bring some light into yourself and into the world as well. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Mitra. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I I understand that you guys just got your 501c3 designation. So I want to say congratulations. And we look forward to the good works that we know you and your team are going to do and the light that you're going to put out in the world. Thanks. This is such a great conversation. I really enjoyed it too. You've been listening to an episode of Outside Inside Radio, brought to you by the Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. We are based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at Cal Poly Humboldt and at three CSU campuses, San Bernardino, Fresno, and Fullerton. Prison Arts Collective is a project of California Arts and Corrections, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. 
Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Outside Inside Radio.